from Los Angeles, California. This is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Hello, everybody. Today is Wednesday, February 27th, 2008. In today's episode, the second of a two-part series, I conclude my conversation with Patrick Verone, the president of the Writers Guild of America West. But first, a couple of news and notes. First and foremost, the new MBA contract was ratified yesterday with a 93.6% approval. There was a total of 4,060 votes cast and the tally was 3,802 to 258. In an email sent to the Guild's membership by Patrick Verone and Michael Winship, President of the Writers Guild of America East, the 2008 MBA contract, quote, establishes a beachhead on the internet and in new media that will guarantee our share of a potentially vast and bountiful future. Writers are already working on new media projects under this agreement, and residuals must now be paid for streaming and downloads of our library of films and TV shows, unquote. To read the entire letter, visit the Writers Guild website at www.wga.org. Well, my sincerest congratulations to all. Now, let's move forward as we rebuild this town and help others recover from the financial hardships the strike has caused people like myself and below-the-line members that are now in desperate need of support. As I've mentioned in previous postings on the Strike Chronicles blog, as well as in my recent podcast featuring Jamie Masada, the Laugh Factory fundraiser will counteract the collateral damage caused by the strike, and it's taking place on Tuesday, March 4th at 8 p.m. Make reservations to secure your seat. It's only $20 per person, and remember... All proceeds from the door will go towards the Writers Guild Foundation Industry Support Fund. For more information, visit LaughFactory.com. Okay, this episode marks the final podcast of the Writer Strike Chronicles series. Later on today, after I've given it some time to think things over and get a good night's sleep, I'll put the final post of the Strike Chronicles blog up as well. But... As I mentioned yesterday, I'm developing a monthly podcast about new media in the arts and entertainment here in Los Angeles. It's called Brave New Media, and it'll focus on the convergence of arts and entertainment, information, and technology. Check it out at my new website, bravenewmedia.tv. Okay, this is the martini shot. Picture me in the office of Patrick Verone at the Writers Guild of America West headquarters in Los Angeles. We're sitting at a glass conference table and to my right is his desk where his computer is humming away and I can see that it's connected to the internet. I was told by a sound guy that I could filter out the hum of the computer from this recording, but it seems fitting to me to leave it in. In this conversation, we'll focus on the membership of the Writers Guild, and then we'll talk a bit about what I call the Friends and Family Plan, namely other guilds and unions. And then we'll wrap things up with my final question. Okay, let's roll sound. Let's focus on the guild for a minute. Um, I read you said that uh, having to take animation and reality off the table was personally heartbreaking. Is that an accurate quote? Absolutely. I mean, I uh, would say we gained two very important things in this negotiation, and we did not succeed in, in the third goal, which was expansion of our current 
jurisdiction in network television, particularly in reality TV, and in cable when it comes to animation and nonfiction, and then in in animated features. You know, we're we're now in an era where fifteen movies a year are produced uh, with. $100 million plus budgets and they're not covered by guild contracts simply because they're animated and uh, our high profile members are being asked to work in that genre they're not getting the benefits and they're not getting residuals and many of them don't realize that and it was important to raise that profile during this negotiation and I understand, we all understand very well that uh, IATSE Local 839 historically covers animation writers that work in cable that have contracts with Disney and Warner Brothers and and DreamWorks but uh, there's lots of other work being done out there that is not covered by that union and uh, is not covered by our union either the way The Simpsons and Futurama and and a number of other properties are and we want to be able to cover that uh, material when nobody else does. Similarly in reality TV you've got hundreds of men and women working sweatshop hours, I mean hundreds of hours a week with no benefits at all, with no protection from the the overtime laws are are regularly skirted, Uh, the wage and hour laws in this state, in this country are regularly ignored by hugely successful companies like Mark Burnett uh, Productions and Endemol and Fremantle that make remarkably successful television shows like American Idol and Survivor and you know not only do they not pay appropriate minimums, but they don't pay any kind of health insurance. There's no pension contribution for these uh, men and women who work very, very hard as writers doing story production. And, you know, we were asking basically to get them health insurance. And, uh, you know, we were turned away and it was used as a wedge issue against, you know, our members to try to divide uh, our membership, and it was it was personally heartbreaking, particularly as it related to animation, to drop those two proposals when we did. But in the interest of making the deal that we had to make in new media, we did so. But we fight on on both reality and uh, in animation. What are your plans for gaining jurisdiction in, in the future? Well, we have uh, a fair number of initiatives going right now, both with uh, in reality, particularly when it relates to the. Uh, the Labor Commission, with other legislation, with other litigation that we have in the works um, that we intend to pursue wholeheartedly. And and animation, I'm going to be a little cagier about it because we're planning on rolling something out in the next few weeks, but uh, we need a test case in order to do so, and I don't want to talk about it in any great detail. But suffice it to say, we intend to continue to organize animation in a way that gets coverage for the people who are writing scripts and writing television feature films who have been our members, who will continue to be our members. And the good news is, you know, in new media, and the, the contracts that we got in new media during the, uh, the term of the strike, several of them include animated projects. And so uh, Seth MacFarlane, a family guy, has a webisode series called Cavalcade that's coming out. It's covered by the Guild. There's another project that Mike Judge of King of the Hill is doing uh, under the deal that we made with Media Rights Capital that will be covered. And so... To us, new media, animation will be covered there, and we'll continue to make those deals uh, full bore. Okay. Many people I met on the line were post-current emeritus or some other status. They couldn't vote, attend meetings, or get strike loans. They felt they had no voice, but their presence was necessary to keep the strike going. Um, A lot 
were comedy writers who really suffered in the past few years, and some are really bitter. What do you have to say to these members? Well, I thank them personally for all their efforts during the strike. I communicated with a fair number of them personally and by email throughout the course of the strike. We have a, you know, we have a union uh, mentality and an industry mentality, and you'll see this currently with the discussion that's going on at the Screen Actors Guild that uh, requires voting standards in our unions based on work because we don't have sort of you know uh, the majority of our members being people who work in a single factory or who work in a mm-hmm. uh, on a shop floor where you're working mm-hmm. and you're in the union and you're the current active members mm-hmm. because of the sporadic nature because of the the you know the lack of security in this business uh, when it comes to you know working on a regular basis we have a lot of members who aren't we have a lot of writers in this town who may not be working currently but who do perceive themselves as current active members mm-hmm. of this uh, entertainment community however in order to vote for a strike authorization in order to vote to ratify a contract traditionally uh, our union has erred on the side of wanting to make sure that people have current active credentials so that we don't fall victim to the accusation that SAG is now being subjected to that you're, you know, you got people out there who haven't worked in years who are controlling the destiny of everybody else as to whether or not you go out on strike. And so the Writers Guild East has slightly less stringent requirements and we're now in the process that got derailed by the negotiation, but we're back into the process of coming up with joint voting and membership standards between uh, our two unions, and and we hope to work out something that will link voting in contract matters, ratification, strike authorization, with working under that contract, but would allow members who are, you know, who have worked or who have maybe not so recent credentials to vote on other matters, uh, elections, um, the awards, things that don't quite have the livelihood or life and death, the concerns that come up uh, with the strike authorization votes. And it, it's, it's a difficult problem. It's one mm-hmm. that we will we'll have to play through over the next few months as we work out those joint standards with the Writers Guild East. You touched on SAG. For, I want to talk about that for a moment. I'm a member of both SAG and AFTRA. Um, any advice to actors as they go up for their contract? Um, do you think actors like Writers Guild and Directors Guild, they're one union. Now, I'm in two unions for the yeah. same type of work. I personally, I'm going to throw in my own feelings here, um, I feel actors should be platform agnostics. What, any advice to those two questions? Well, I certainly wish the Screen Actors Guild and after a luck, and we're offering our support as best we can. You know, the SAG in particular was instrumental in our success during our strike when the Screen Actors Guild announced that it was advising its members not to cross the Golden Globe picket line, I think that was a turning point in the strike uh, and and the alliance with the Screen Actors Guild uh, was extraordinarily powerful uh, to us. And so we're, as the actors unions go down the <laughs> the path that they helped us blaze, uh, we expect to do whatever we can with our members' expertise, with staff experience, whatever we can to help. And I hesitate with every sinew and bone in my body to get involved in the, the internal <laughs> politics of, of your two unions. But uh, I will say only that I want to help and will we'll give 
our membership's full breadth of its support and be with you uh, just as you guys were with us. If I may present an analogy, and this became apparent to me, um, it seems like the Directors Guild is the oldest senior member of the family. It seems like writers are the overlooked middle child. And actors are seemed, sag and after seem to be the twin babies. That's my feeling on that. I couldn't possibly comment. Okay, very good. Let's move. Um, but I do want to talk about IATSE because I, my father was an art director. Is there some way to reach out to uh, IA unions now, especially on the residuals issues? Because many members didn't know that... Uh, that pension and welfare came from residuals. Yeah, I think that was an important breakthrough that uh, in terms of our relationship with IA members during the course of our strike, we had a lot of, when we did our location picketing initially, we found there was real resistance from IA members who would be reluctant to mm-hmm. be supportive because they thought that you know we were our issues were were not important to them but in fact uh, as you point out residuals in film go towards uh, I mean they go into our pockets directly as writers and actors and directors but uh, IA and the teamsters get those residuals paid into uh, your pension and health funds and make them extraordinarily healthy and as the film and TV production turns into new media and the internet that's going to go away and if you don't have those residuals if we didn't get those residuals in new media then it's entirely possible that the IA and Teamster health and pension funds would struggle and mm-hmm. would would, lo- would lose a, a vast portion of their income input so so we took it upon ourselves to inform and educate IA members that this was you know that our fight was their fight and I think we got through uh, as uh, despite Tom Short well, many of the locals were very supportive, uh, particularly the sound engineers and uh, the cinematographers. I think we had representatives of every local on the picket lines at some point during the negotiations. Uh, there's a long history with President Short that our union, because of the overlapping jurisdiction in, in animation, because of a perceived difficulty that I have to say did not uh, actually exist with the Editors Guild over reality and our storytellers, uh, story producers, uh, who many of whom are not editors, but the Editors Guild was successful in organizing a fair number of uh, the reality shows a couple of years ago because of that perceived overlap, and that, I think, drove a wedge between our two unions. But it is saddening to me that we don't have a better relationship with IATSE, and we look forward to continue to try to develop one. As I say, with some of the locals, we do have a very good working relationship we hope to continue to build on that. Let's talk about the future. What's next for you, artistically speaking? <laughs> well, artistically, we have uh, three more uh, Futurama movies. The, f- the first one came out uh, at Christmas, uh, direct-to-DVD, Bender's Big Score, which sold apparently uh, very, very well. And we're uh, doing three more, and we're hoping that that leads to even more or perhaps uh, renewed interest in it as a TV property, or maybe we'll do stuff direct for the Internet. Uh, Futurama seems to be the kind of show that uh, that has a long tail. As they call <laughs> nice. it, and and I, you know, worked on that show for five years when it was on network, uh, Fox, and the folks who I worked with there, were, this was probably the most overeducated cartoon in the history of of uh, television. We had, I think, three PhDs, and uh, the writing staff had three PhDs and a couple of MAs in, in wow. math, and my poor JD was considered, uh, <laughs> you know, the uh, the backwoods yokel uh, amongst uh, that group of. Uh, physicists and chemists and 
computer uh, academics. So I absolutely am looking forward to continuing to work on that show. You know, I, I still have a year and a half left on my term at the Guild as president. We've got a lot of work to be done. We, we do still need to get reality writers uh, in the tent. We need to get these animated features and cable shows covered and cable nonfiction. I mean, there's a, there's a, a lot of work yet to be done there. And now that the strike is over, I get to go back to my old schedule of eight hours a day of trying to make a living and eight hours a day of volunteering at the Guild and the other eight hours, well, I get to sleep and eat and <sighs> see my children and, wow. <laughs> and it, it's up to 24 hours and that's yeah. how I do it. Any advice to future generations of Guild members when disruptive technologies change the entertainment industry and how we do business and create art? I think you need to look back at history. I mean, those who ignore, what does Santayana say, those who ignore history are doomed to repeat it and those who ignore writers are just doomed and we have a history now that uh, was built on every single time a new technology came along the companies tried to tell us they needed the barriers to entry lowered they needed a cheap way of doing business so that they could compete and we gave them breaks and then when the time came that they were profitable and making money hand over fist uh, they would pay us back and they never did and so this time, with the internet and with the new new media, uh, we insisted on getting in on the ground floor with a percent of revenue, and and we have, and and I just hope that for future generations that our that they they take the lesson of of the recent past to heart, and and you just simply have to fight for it because it's not going to come easy, and these multinational conglomerates fight really hard they're, they're not they don't they don't give up easy and and uh, you have to fight hard to uh, to get what you can get and and that's my advice to uh, you put that in the time capsule and open it up probably three years when we'll have to look back on it but this contract uh, it'll be hard to tell how successful we were for it may take 5 10 15 years to look back on the gains made in 2008 to really get the sense of them but we look back on what we didn't achieve in 1985 on home video and in 1981 and cable we live and learn and this was the year that we actually get to live and hopefully the future will learn if McLuhan was right and the medium is the message, or in this case, the new medium is the message, what's your message? Well, I think, the, I mean, the, there were a couple of messages that came out of this uh, negotiation and this strike. And, and one is that I think we've now, you know, when they get paid, we get paid. But also that the legacy of this strike, I believe, is that the talent community now has both production and distribution at their disposal. We actually have a democratic, with a small d, internet that you can use as a distribution platform to make content and distribute it and get it seen without the help or interference of the corporations, without the conglomerates. And one of the things that this strike did was to link writers and actors with the folks out there who have these platforms and the number of YouTube videos. I mean, this was a 100-day strike for the Internet that used the Internet. I mean, we made dozens of videos and the blogging that was done and the UnitedHollywood.com. I mean, these were all mechanisms used to win this strike and win this struggle for those very mechanisms. And so it, it in looking back on it, I think that's the legacy that I hope other unions and guilds nationwide and worldwide can take advantage of, that uh, you, you need to use the technology to win the technology. 
Interesting. Okay, I'm going to throw this in. Do you think the strike was reported fairly in the press as opposed to the blogosphere? Yeah, at the time, you know, it was clear to me that the seven conglomerates that controlled media controlled all of media. And so it was very hard for us to get, we thought, a fair shake in traditional television and print journalism. But then again, you never you never really feel like you're getting your side out there when there are two sides of any story to be told. Um, Fair and balanced. The fact that we did have a membership of 10,000 people who could not only read and write, but were, you know, had access to blogs and the creation of content and, and, and email and, and websites. And we did a tremendous amount to advance our own cause by simple self-expression and intercommunication in a way that, uh, you know, was really new to the 21st century and that we couldn't have done or that we didn't do before and and that hopefully we uh, become the template for way strikes are run in the years to come. My final question is then, as a writer, but also as a healthy as a tool for a healthy democracy, what is the more powerful invention? Okay, wait, let me finish. Okay, standalone technology, legacy notwithstanding, yeah. I want a creative answer. What is the more powerful invention, the internet or the printing press? Uh, you know, the internet is probably the most important <laughs> invention since the printing press. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think it's a little early to tell just what the internet is. Uh, I think it's probably not going to turn out to be eight track tape or CB radio. I think it's going <laughs> to be more influential than that. But it's it's uh, you know I I, I I it it is an extraordinary mechanism by which people can communicate with each other and with future generations in a way that has been unseen since uh, since the advent of movable type and so we uh, we thank Gutenberg and Al Gore and <laughs> everybody in between for all their uh, for all their involvement You've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate it. This has been all the stuff I went through to do this was worth it. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. That was part two of a conversation with Patrick Verone, president of the Writers Guild of America West. Be sure to download or stream the first half of this interview by downloading it through iTunes. There are a total of 110 podcasts in all. You have been listening to the Writer's Strike Chronicles podcast. For more information, go to our website, www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com. <laughs>